Afternoon, boys. Yo, yo, yo. Yo, yo, yo. Hi. Hi. What do you guys think? You like the vibe? I like it. Yep. Little, little I feel like I should have a shirt off with longer hair, but yeah. Little James Morrison. The Doors. Peace Frog. Peace Frog. Um, literally has no meaning in regards to today, the guest, or anything other- otherwise. I just like it. It's a cool tune. I'm fine with that. How are you guys doing today? Uh, I am uh, worn out. Um, I'm, I'm on vacation, but I did some landscaping today. And um, this body, um, this beautiful body, is not built for uh, manual labor anymore. Isn't that an oxymoron to be on vacation and do manual labor? <sighs> I have to get it done. Unless though. it's private. Yeah. See what I did there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I got you. <laughs> uh, I did nothing manual today. So you're on vacation too? No. Oh. Just a lot of clicking and typing and TPS reports. Oh, God. Do you have a red stapler? I, I, I'm about to go to the realm where you might think I do have a red stapler. Um, what do you what, what, elaborate there? What do you what do you mean? Are you just just miserable right now? Yeah, yeah. Admin hell because of the type of work you're doing, or because mm-hmm. of the amount of work you have to do. It's it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I inherited a position from somebody who just left, and it's uh, it's hard to come into something like that and do pick you up now, where they left off. Do you now know why they left? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew why they left before they left. Um, but uh, oh. working from home, um, you have the fortunate ability to do so. But I feel like you um, personally, you're built to go to an office with people. I don't think working from home suits you. Yeah, it's you know year five of working from home for me, and while it's been great from a flexibility standpoint to get children to different places and in your relationship with your dogs certainly that uh but you're you're right i'm i'm a social person they love peanut butter <laughs> <laughs> he skippy. doesn't he doesn't even know skippy specifically <laughs> okay. oh yeah no we uh well we're we're back from dallas the three of us were down there with 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 the boys and I don't know, roughly 5,000 other players slash staffs slash families uh, down in Dallas for the MLS Next Cup. Um, I believe the average temperature was 172 degrees. Um, last we heard, four kids were ho- hospitalized. Uh, heat stroke and more. Guys, guys, this is no joke. Today, I read, <laughs> this happened on Tuesday. <laughs> A, this po- a postal worker collapsed and died from heat exhaustion in Dallas. Frisco? Tuesday. Dallas. On Tuesday. On Tuesday. That was the day we played at 1030, and I was up and about outside in a car at 9 a.m., and it was 91 degrees at 9 a.m. Yeah, not normal. I think um, all families listening to this, anybody that's ever played the game or goes to watch Little Johnny play, you know how it goes, man. Those summer tournaments, especially if you're anywhere near turf fields, um, south of I-70, it's just, it's kind of like uh, 
Torture. Just flat out torture. Torture. Um, yeah. I, I hope they decide to move that thing north. Um, I mean, but realistically, we talked about it. They would need approximately 30 fields. You would need, and they would have to be grass, at least the majority of them. Uh, and then you would need the hotel infrastructure and yep. everything else. Yep. I mean, it, it's just such a big business. You know? It is. It's daunting. And I'm not, I'm not upset with the fact of where it is. It's just, it's brutal. It's not, it's not a condition that you want to yeah. showcase yourself. I mean, we talked mm. to several coaches who think it's ridiculous. spend tons of time outside watching these kids. And they know this is not an accurate reflection of who they actually are as a player. I mean, it's survival mode in some of these games. Yeah, it's you're not, right. It's not healthy. Well, that being said, the 15s final is set. It's Red Bull versus Montreal. We played Montreal. Yeah, and you know, kudos to the 15 Gallagher Heck boys yes. that were out there. Yeah. Um, we, we went and watched that game uh, for moral support, St. Louis support. Um, they ended up losing 2 nothing. I mean, that team was very, very good. They were knocking at the door. Uh, Brady and goal stood on his head. Uh, but overall, the team played really well, and... You know, one or two lucky breaks, and I mean, they they, they could have potentially pulled I mean, it was off nil nil at halftime, and they didn't score until What's sixty nil, minutes nil? in. Yeah, oh zero. You can't and you can't do this in our game, and you get caught up too much in it. But that two nothing final, Gallagher plays well um, today. The semifinal, Red Bull beats LAFC, the number one seed in the tournament, three to one. Yeah, well, we watched that Beckett and I did a little yep. bit, and they beat and, Colorado two uh, nil. Before that, two nil, two zero. I think the that tournament and and really, I think this applies to all teenage, middle teen, low teen youth sports, specifically soccer. Mm-hmm. At this point, wait two months. Things change. Yeah, the boys get bigger, they get smarter, they get faster. You know, and, and not just boys, the girls' side, same thing. I mean, you're going through puberty. They're all going through puberty, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so now we didn't get to play against the Colorado Rapids in Bradenton because of the weather. Mm-hmm. But Rain. we beat LAFC. So in Grady's calculation, the way he does math is we would have been champions because we beat LAFC. Well. <laughs> and we I, beat. The, y- y- uh, well, I, I think there's a lot more math. There's a lot more of the <laughs> equation beyond. Yes, uh, well aware. You know, two minus one. Um, but anyway, uh, what I want to do here is we're going to roll out. Uh, we, we've got growing fan base of the show um, that's starting to lead to actually support for the show. Um, you know, we do we do this for fun. We all have uh, our day jobs that we love so much, as we just clearly illustrated. <laughs> <laughs> so this is this is the fun part of our uh, kind of productive schedule. Um, and what, what we're going to roll out now is uh, uh, Chris and Billy over at uh, Pinnacle Mortgage, uh, they're going to they're gonna be stepping up. They're soccer guys, too. And uh, we talked about it. And it kind of falls right in line with kind of what we normally do in this part of the show, um, which is kind of mindless, <laughs> pointless conversation. So we're going to call it, tentatively call it, uh, the Pinnacle Points of the Day. What do you think, Jared? you like to talk? I'm down. I'm down. And you know, a pinnacle point for me today? You, you, can, go, this? you can go first. Uh, highlight of yesterday's city match was not a city player. <laughs> it was Diego Luna from... Yeah, U20. Uh, from Real Salt Lake. He, U20, a 19-year-old kid was everywhere on the pitch and really caused a lot of havoc for us. 
Well, I think I think that age group uh, at the national team level, that U twenty team, proved recently that you know they they can they can throw punches with the big boys. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got uh, the 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 kid, the kid yesterday from Real Salt Lake. You've got the guy that's out there at uh, was it San Jose. Or uh, it's got the mustache, the Cal. striker. Thank you. Yeah, Cal. Uh, who's a stud? And, he is a stud. And it's just a deep. It's a deep team that's staring up at a group of players that are literally only one to four years older than them. That is even deeper. Yep. Well, I think Cal is on um, the roster for this Gold Cup, the men's roster. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he's he's producing at both levels. We'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, you know, the game last night for City was, uh, I, I don't think there was anybody surprised by it. We know that we're missing some key players to injury. Uh, it's midweek. Uh, for whatever reason, if we're not playing at 7.30 on a Saturday night where it's kind of expected to be a little bit more of a party, it just seems like the energy's not there. The energy, the energy seemed lacking for me. I mean, the, the first goal was prime example that, you know, on a counter, it was 4v2 and we did not have our backs... No. Covering. Well, here's my thought, too, um, that, that, that's bothering me. It's been kind of a thorn in my side all day. Okay, we're missing our 10. Um, we're missing our 9. Um, they are very, very good players, and maybe we win that game 4-3 with them. But defensively, um, in, in the backfield, we didn't have it together yesterday. We uh, were awful on the counter. Um, we did not get to balls that we usually get to. And um, to, to give up three goals on your home turf, albeit missing those front forward players, it's kind of a catch-22. I, I think you need to defend better. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, you can say, well, they, you know, the simple math is we didn't score more goals than them, which would have meant that we would need to score four, and we had problems executing in the front third. But on the flip side, if you disallow or you know stop the flow of play and you limit the goals scored against you, guess what? Math works out in your favor too, mm-hmm. and it just on both sides of the equation wasn't it wasn't happening. No. So. so are we saying that we need to pitch shutouts with Leuven and um, and, and Klaus out? Um, if that's what we're saying, we're going to struggle because no. this league is hard to win, and we're it's hard to shut teams out. Yeah, I don't know if we're looking for a a solid set of clean sheets over the next three to four weeks. But I think we've got to balance that out. We cannot rely just on a couple goals. And we saw this on our own boys team, you know, the U 15s mm-hmm. relying on a couple early goals and hoping to, was there a team that we didn't score two goals on? No, <laughs> no we, went two, we were two minutes. nil in uh, all the time, all three games right. in the first 20 minutes. Uh, Jared, you got a point for me, or you want me to go next? I'll, I'll, you go next. I'm at the dinner table uh, right. order, and I just don't know what I want yet. Okay, so here, here's my here's my point of the day. Um, I, I was out there in your neck of the woods having lunch today with my boys. We went out, cleaned up the chalet, did a little soccer training. We had lunch at Brett Hall's uh, what, uh, Junction House, mm-hmm. is what it's called. Well, they have Chive TV on, and we're watching it. And for those of you that know what Chive is, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just chaos. It's just clips of chaos, back to back to back. Uh, for those of you that don't know, what they show is a combination of basically TikTok videos and Failed. Insta reels and fails and and Red Bull tricks and you know top you know uh, uh, crazy street athletes doing crazy stuff all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it, and it was back to back to back. It was parkour. 
a segment on por- parkour <laughs> <laughs> from our f- uh, wonderful friends at the office. What what a great episode that is! Parkour, parkour. <laughs> yes, exactly. So there's parkour, but there is the they do this thing where they do uh, perception versus reality. So the first clip is perception. And it shows some dude doing some you know Spider Man thing from twenty stories in the air, and he lands on. You know, a thimble and whatever. looks like a cat. <laughs> and then the reality video is exactly what you think it would be. Uh, they didn't exactly land it. And it and it hurts. It hurts to watch. You're sitting there waiting for your food. You're hungry and you're like, oh, you can feel it in the stomach. Yeah. yeah. Well, then the next segment was skateboarding and BMX stuff. Same thing. Perception, reality. And every time those guys wipe out, I can't watch that either because it's like, what did, did they just die? What did they just break? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I got mean, I, I got a funny story on on parkour. First night we were in McKinney, okay, and it was hot as I'll get out. And then <laughs> we were, I was walking across the street. There was a guy about our age uh-huh. and about our shape, sweating profusely. So are you sure it wasn't me or Jared? Doing, doing parkour <laughs> on the sidewalk, <laughs> and he was hopping from like. Uh, flower pot to flower pot, and then he would do the most awkward-looking cartwheel I've ever seen in my life. Oh, no, that was definitely me. And I walked up to this group, and he did a cartwheel and landed it, and I went, parkour. (laughs) (laughs) And he looked at you like, tourist. (laughs) I'm a regular here. Well, then the last part of it, guys, what I was watching was they followed all that with bull riding. And so my question to you is this. Of the three, which do you cringe at most waiting for the catastrophe? Parkour, BMX, or bull riding? No. I mean, bull riding's got to be the answer, right? No, because you know what? That's on you. Uh, <laughs> you ever seen <laughs> the size of a bull's yeah. ass and I, feet? And I Getting in the ring, I, I, all three of them are dangerous. Which would sure. you do? If you had to choose, you had to do one. You had to go down a huge pipe on a BMX bike, or you had to jump across. Parkour. <laughs> I'm doing parkour. I'm not getting in the ring with Jared, a bull. Jared, what are you going to do? You're going you gonna to sit on a bull? Uh, I'm not going to sit on a bull, no. You're going to jump from a building? I'm not going to do that either, and I can ride bikes, so I guess I'm picking bikes. Okay. There we go. That's, that's my point of the day. What you got? My point of the day is just recapping um, our last few episodes. Um, we did it at Jake's Beer and Burgers in Dallas, and those fine folks were kind enough to give us our own area and give us a server. And um, we had family members and multiple people involved with the tournament in and out throughout the day. And I just wanted to just speak on how enjoyable that day was um, and how, oh, yeah. and how um, informative it was. Um, I would, you know, maybe this is a conversation for off mic, but I think in the near future, um, maybe at another event, um, you know, soon, um, we might need to do that pretty regularly because, um, we can kill a couple birds with one stone. Um, we get the the right people on the same place. It it was just a lot of fun for me. Yeah. I mean, the vibe was for those of you that are familiar and those, and for those of you that are not, uh, we were down in Frisco, and we had 
um, back to back to back guests. We had Steve Tritschu, um, you, you know, U.S. soccer legend, St. Louis soccer legend, etc. And then we had Paolo Nascimento, and then we just did a bunch of dads, and it was a blast. And the people that were in the room, they were feeding off of it. So it was uh, it was a great time. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I was so excited to see all the, the the coaches and all the folks come to to support the show and just hang out get out of the, the heat you yeah. know but yeah. um it was great i was i was happy to be there well here's the deal we got our guests just walked in the door so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna take a quick break and we will be right back with the guests of the day guests plural brothers no less that's right here we go The term staycation was really invented by soccer moms. Located one hour and seven minutes from the arch, the Music Box Chalet at Innsbruck is a hidden gem. Buried in three acres of private woods, the Music Box has a master suite for just you, a loft and second bath for them, and a vinyl collection to meet your every mood. The full-size kitchen will easily accommodate three to 12 bottles of rosé, while the huge fire pit seating area will keep the big kids busy. Golf, fishing, kayaking, pickleball, or simply reading a book with Mother Nature, all at your fingertips. Visit either VRBO or Airbnb to find the Music Box Chalet. And now, back to those guys. All right. Gentlemen's plural people gentle people peoples plural we're back coming in here with um a little boss a little rock and roll from uh from our uh guest generation yep i i would venture a guess that if they do like the boss they might have bought this record when they were around that age maybe maybe not Waiting for a nod or a no? I don't buy records. <laughs> <laughs> so that would be a no. Uh, we are super privileged to have uh, a couple of brothers here on the show today. Um, a couple of St. Louis soccer legends that have been around the game their whole lives. Lives. Um, and I'm really struggling with my plurality today, aren't I? Yeah. yeah it's one of those things. It's all right. It's hot. Uh, two brothers that have... Um, really experienced every level of the game. Uh, if, I, if my math was right, we're looking at close to a combined 300 professional games. Uh, we got three national t- titles on the table here. We've got uh, a trip to the Olympics and on and on and on. Today on the show, we have the Demling brothers. We have Mark and Buzz. How you doing, gentlemen? Well, thank you. Good. Awesome. Good. Good. Yeah. Who, who's better today, the older or the younger? Better at what? Just feeling better today. It's, it's, I think uh, that would be me. I'm always feeling good. Uh, <laughs> that would be Mark. So let's set the table here. Uh, Buzz, Buzz apparently is the Joker out of the gate. We're used to. We're we're down with that. And then Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. Uh, Mark, Mark is the politician of the family. Oh yeah. He's the talker. <laughs> so so then everything's on the table. Is that what you're saying? You have to ask him. He's the soccer. <laughs> yeah, I would say everything's on the table as long as it's related to soccer. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're in luck. We know a little bit about that, and typically when we go off the rails, everybody just stares at us. So you're you're in safe hands today. Okay. So um, let's let's just go 
you know, let's do a little history, a little one-on-one, because I mean, your, your family name is, has been in the, in the St. Louis soccer marketplace for a long time. Uh, there a, there's a load of individuals that are fully familiar with the pedigree and the path and the teams and the accolades, et cetera. And then there's another layer of individuals who are like, I know I should know that name. I've heard it. And you know, they, they just know that it, it that it carries weight. Uh, and then on our show, the people that are listening, we have a third wave of people that are digging back into kind of the foundational roots of what, you know, makes St. Louis special from a soccer standpoint, you know, and, uh, shows like this shows like ours is an opportunity f- to have the conversations to educate them as well. So, um, and celebrate and celebrate you and yeah. your family and, and, and your, um, and your children, um, who have had a lot of success. I mean, I, I think well, we start with Buzz, the, the older of the brothers, and give yeah. us a you know the ten thousand foot view of um, kind of where you started, where you where you grew up, who you played for. Um, you know, give us that that um, give us that story. The story begins at St. Thomas More. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up in St. Thomas More Parish in, in Bell Ridge area. Uh, Marty Clark started the program with 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 all the fathers in the parish. Uh, Mark and I, of course, started playing bantam ball when we were seven, eight years old and quit when we were 65, <laughs> approximately. <laughs> you, you, you quit, you, you chose, or the knees said, no, I'm yeah, out. Yeah, the knee, knee gave out on me, I mean, <laughs> did me in. So we've got another, it's, it's, we've, we've talked about this before. Yes, it is. Um, the the historic path to soccer in St. Louis starts at CYC, right? So, Mark, talk talk a little bit about the early days. Um, you know, you're coming out of CYC, and uh, where where did you guys play high school ball at? Uh, well, we, we both went to we both mm-hmm. went to um, St. Louis U High. Um, my brother is three years older than me, so he was a senior when I was a freshman. So, um, over the course of growing up, I, I'd never played on its, the same team with my brother. So, uh, you know, when I went to college, uh, I thought I might get a chance there, but the same thing, he went to Michigan State, I went to St. Louis U. Um, he was a senior when I was a freshman, so it, it just didn't seem to, to click. So it, w- it was an unfortunate thing, but I always kind of idolized my brother because he was an, an older older guy than I was. and. So I was always going to his games, mm-hmm. and he played for St. Philip Neri Junior Ball. I ended up playing for St. Philip Neri Junior Ball. He went to St. Louis U High. I went to St. Louis U High. Uh, so I was always watching and trying to emulate my my brother, and that's kind of how I got my start. Besides just playing in the CYC. So, do you guys have any other siblings, or is it just the two of you? Two younger sisters. Two younger sisters as well. Yeah. Did, did they play well, the game? Idolize us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Idolize us. Hey, when you, you had mentioned that you went to Michigan, one went to Buzz, went to Michigan State, you went to uh, St. Louis U. Um, they had a lot, in that era, they played a lot of high level games together against each other. Did you guys get to play each other in any of those games? Or was it when freshmen couldn't play? Well, when he started, freshmen couldn't, couldn't play. play. Uh, couple of years later freshmen were able to play so had we been playing Michigan State my freshman year 
I was eligible to play, but they weren't on the schedule. Uh, so were, were, were you bummed? Did you did you want to have that take oh, that yeah. shot? Yeah, I mean, I, I was. <laughs> I, I thought that was was a possibility, not assuming that I was going to play, but sure. just having them on the schedule, there was the possibility. But that's that's right when uh, Bob Gelker stopped coaching at St. Louis U mm-hmm. and went to SIU. That was the year that he would have recruited my brother. And so Al and a few other guys uh, went to St. Louis U, but there was a transition because Bob Gelker left and Harry Keogh came in. Mm -hmm. And Harry Keogh came in late in the game. And so my brother was fortunate to receive a full scholarship to Michigan State. So a lot of times back when we were growing up, it, it wasn't where you wanted to go. It was an economic decision. I think it's so, a lot like that now, too. Well, yeah. you, but back then it really was. Okay. I mean, you, it was, you know, you were going to go there if you got a ride, you, you know, if you got a full ride Makes to sense. Michigan State. Well, you guys are also coming out as slew high grads. Got to assume the grades are pretty decent, so that had to help out a little bit, or at least did that, did, did what? Let me ask this for you, Buzz, though. Um, you know, being a St. Louis kid, being a Northsider and, you know, carrying the pedigree that you, you did as a youth going to Slough High, uh, what drew you to Michigan State as opposed to anything closer here in the backyard? Two things. One, Michigan State was half St. Louis players. Okay. So before going up there, I knew half the team. Nice. Um, secondly, uh, and more importantly, at the time that I was recruited by SLU, it was based on a grade average that I had to keep. Didn't have to keep one at Michigan State. Oh. Had to keep a grade point average at SLU mm-hmm. in order to keep scholarship. I wasn't going to chance that. Yeah. You, we Not that it wouldn't have worked, but sure. you don't know. So, so you, you head up that way. You see your brother take off, goes up to Michigan State. You guys are competing at the highest level. You're entering into your senior year. You know, you, you have, uh, you know, however that year played out, you're looking at your freshman year of college coming up. Uh, how early, um, or I should say, at what point in your high school years did you know you were going to go to SLU? You know, and what was that conversation like between the two of you? I mean, because we didn't have, there were no cell phones, but how cool was it to kind of interchange on, on that the, news. The, the biggest conversation that I had with my brother that, that changed what was going to happen was uh, my junior year of playing soccer. So I played freshman football and I played sophomore or B team football. And again, my brother played football as well as soccer. Mm-hmm. His junior year, he was the most valuable defensive player in the district. His senior year, he was the most valuable offensive player in the district. So he was a really, really good football player. And he came over and told me, he said, look, you're not going to get a scholarship to play football. He said, you might get a scholarship to play soccer. So if I were you, I wouldn't play football your junior and senior year. In high school? In high school. He said, you should be playing junior ball you know, so I'd be playing soccer, well, like they do now, all year round. Right. So I played soccer for St. Philip Neary my junior year, and they won the national championship. That's awesome. And I was playing – I was the younger guy 
on the team, not the older guys. So I was playing with Mike Seary, Joe Ham, Pat Leahy, experienced guys, and I was and I was getting to play, but I was playing with better players. And they and the fact that they won the national title that year turned out to be a good decision for me. Yeah, for sure. The second part of the story is, you know, Mich- St. Louis U was playing Michigan State maybe my uh, maybe what your senior year no no because i was a freshman his yeah. junior year right so st lucieu went to, up to michigan state my mom and dad went to that game my mom and dad came back from the game and told me that harry keogh came by and told them maybe next year you won't have to go this far to watch your son play soccer <laughs> oh <laughs> i like the style what when was the um were were you Buzz? Um, were you involved um, with the game that was called because of weather at half the national championship game? Were you no, in that, that was game? my freshman year? Okay, which we weren't allowed. Okay. freshman didn't okay. play. Okay, uh, so that was played at Wash U. Okay, uh, all I remember from that game is Gary McBrady whacking one off the crossbar mm-hmm. and Guy Bush sliding into the goal <laughs> goalpost at which point they called the game. Yep. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's so funny because we've, you know, some of our past guests that have included uh, Al Trost and Bill McDermott. Jim Leaker. Yeah, some of the other names that obviously were in your immediate circles. That that generation, that time of um, the expats, the players that were not playing at SLU, you know, like yourself, Buzz, that were going off. It's, it's, it's almost as if no matter where you guys landed, uh, if you had <clears throat> kind of 314 water in your in your veins, you were going to be successful at these other locations. Um, so what I'd like to kind of talk about a little bit first would be with you, Mark, and that would be three of the four years you guys were national champions at SLU, uh, including your freshman year. Um, going into that environment and kind of riding that wave, um, you know, I'm not going to ask what you felt at the time or what it was like at the time. I'm really curious as to, in hindsight now, you know, that it's set in so many years later. How does it make you feel knowing that you were part of kind of a dynasty for the most part that uh, is the rarefied air in all of college sports? Well, you know, my senior year, I was co-captain with Dan Counts and, and we won the national title. And my hopes were, you know, that they would win the national title the very next year. They went to the final. Mm-hmm. And they lost. So that, that puts St. Louis U at six straight finals in a row. Whoa. Wow. They won four out of six. But that was six finals, not final fours, six finals right. in a row. So I, I knew it was, was something special. I knew the guys, there were, there were nine guys recruited um, my freshman year. And I probably – Talk, see or talk to those guys on a on a fairly regular basis to this day to this day that's yeah. great we have christmas parties we have get-togethers uh somebody's child's getting married somebody's having a grandson somebody's doing something well you know. once a fall kevin down there probably is celebrating your guys's teams as well so you guys probably get together in an alumni type atmosphere as well right yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of ties you know that that you know, or strange that just you don't realize. You know, Tom D. Maria was uh, uh, a, a grade school 
buddy of, of Buzzies who's uh, recently passed away and coached high school ball a long time. His son uh, played down at St. Lachieu, mm -hmm. and his son was a teammate of Kevin Kalish's. Mm -hmm. Kevin right. Kalish's mom was uh, went to St. Thomas More. Yeah, you know, her married name is I mean, um, I'm trying to think, uh, Stasi. I think her married name is Stasi. So uh, it's just funny how the circles go around. So when I see Kevin, I think of his his mom, and she's a St. Thomas More person. You hmm. know, and they were all good friends with. Uh, Tom De Maria. Yep. You know? Wow. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. So I think De Maria's and the Kalishes are still yeah tight. Yeah. Yes, they are. And uh, that's exciting to see that that multi generation still moving forward. And one thing that <clears throat> I wanted to ask you about, Mark, is is at your time uh, with SLU, you won the three national championships, but they also kind of memorialized you a little bit in that they named their most outstanding player of giving back after you, right? Well, they created an award. I think it was more or less Bill McDermott that kind of put the thing together, and it was uh, it was called the Mark Demling Dedication Award. So not, nice. not the, definitely not the most valuable player, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, I, I just felt so strongly about the program. Um, I felt I was a, a leader at the school at the time, you know, and, and it was uh, – it was a it was a big deal when they when they did it. It was it was celebrated for a long time. I don't know if they still do it. Um, you go when you have ch coaching changes and coaching regime changes, then they they want to change things all the time. You know, for the longest time we had a soccer banquet. It was always just a separate soccer banquet. We've always done it. Um, some of the coaches didn't want to do keep doing that. You know, they they. You know, and times have changed in the sense that, you know, players are graduating in December now instead of June. Right, right. And so if if half the team is gone because they graduate in June, they're, they're one of the things they're doing, I think that's very good, and I wish they would have emphasized, but you, you don't have that forethought of the students graduating, you know, in December. So when the draft comes along and, and – you're able to leave and go right away. So they had a draft, and, and um, I left in I left in March. You know, and so I didn't graduate uh, in June. And it took me, I think, 20 years to get my degree because I wow. left because I left early in school for right? for the draft for the draft. So, right. Well, I, they drafted me number one. And the season started in May, so they were practicing in yeah. March. Yeah, they're already so, rolling. So I mean, you know, if you want to play, and if I I did, I figured I could always go back to school. So I left early and had no second thoughts. I was on the plane and I was gone. I had a nine-inch black and white uh, portable TV that I hand carried on, and my clothes, <laughs> and that was it. And my parents gave me the nine-inch, you know, portable TV. That did, I had. Did you so, did you get a TV when you took off? Or I what? did not get a TV. <laughs> Son, <laughs> mom always liked Mark best. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the baby. So well, Buzz, let me let me ask you real quick though. Um, kind of you know to chime in on what you know the story that Mark is telling about his own experience and you know those years at SLU and you know when you found out that 
they created the award in his honor and all of that. Like, as a big brother, when you look back, you know, what does it really mean to you as clearly a player at the highest caliber as well? What did it mean to you to see little brother doing the same thing and really clipping at a high level? Well, one of the things Mark partook in was, was his players that he played with at SLU. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were a close group, still are to this day. Where my guys at Michigan State, I'll see them at a reunion every 10 years or so, you know, that uh, a lot of them still live up in Michigan mm-hmm. from, that, that have moved from St. Louis. And uh, a friend of mine, John Hauska, who I graduated mm-hmm. from St. Louis U High, went to Michigan State with me as did uh, Dave Walsh, another slew guy, went up to play soccer. But um, having my brother play with these guys, uh, I, I mean, it was very, I was very proud of them. Right. So let me, let me flip the script a little bit then, because um, you, you uh, Mark, you, you go into slew in 70, correct? Fall of 70? 70. Mm-hmm. Um, Buzz you. 72. Let's talk about 72 for a minute and your experience uh, because you had the honor, the privilege of playing for our nation in the 72 Olympics, correct? Correct. Um, How... Talk about the lead up to that, you know, because, you know, we we all kind of understand how the pool works and how it can be extremely finicky and it rotates at a rapid pace. But when there there are the big tournaments that are on the calendar and, you know, you're you're playing kind of at your prime at that time and you're going in and, you know, you're in consideration. What did it mean to you when you got that call to be able to go to the Olympics and represent? United States. Well, it was first of all, it, it was uh, an honor to be chosen. To get there, I didn't even know how I got there because I was up playing in Michigan State at the time. Um, somebody told me they were having tryouts in St. Louis for the Olympic team. I didn't even know about it. Wow. So I just came down to St. Louis, stayed for tryouts, and and through the evolution of, of the, the choices. Uh, again, a political choice. Uh, we had six guys from St. Louis on the team. Right. Um, other parts of the country said, we have to have two guys from this area. We have to have three guys from this area. I don't care if they're the best players or not. Yeah. We, we want them represented as part of our Our, our whole group. country, yeah. So, so that was a bit disheartening. It, it as it worked out, it it was great picks. Yeah. Um, and uh, again, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I, I left Michigan State. You know, played in the Olympics. I stayed over in in Germany for a season. Played with Eintracht Frankfurt and their their amateur division. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it immensely. The one problem I had was I didn't speak German. Yeah. Uh, I played for, with Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, all the players in the team could speak English, but they weren't going to speak English to me because I was out to, to steal their job. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of an outsider, but eventually led into the group. Yeah. And, and enjoyed it immensely. I, I just got lonely because I couldn't speak the language. 
Did Did you have anybody over there with you at the time? Not or at all. Anybody close? That nobody. Weekend I mean, trip, nothing. Uh, wow. Detmar Kramer was helping the Olympic team. Uh huh. Um, he got me the the shot to play with Eintracht. He He got that all set up. So as soon as the Olympics were over, I was up in Frankfurt nice. playing. Training was phenomenal. Again, you know, I, I, I lived in a little town outside of uh, outside of Frankfurt, take the, the trolley home every night. Mm-hmm. You know, come in town, I, I worked at uh, at a uh, IG Farben building. What was but, the town? Sorry? What was the town you lived in outside of Frankfurt? Well, it wasn't Carl's, was it? No, it was Bergen-Enkheim. Bergen-Enkheim, okay. I was just curious because I spent some time in Karlsruhe, um, just it, 27 days in a summer one year, and then and just all that stuff you were saying flashback. I mean, that's a beautiful area. Uh, again, I I enjoyed my time in Germany. It was beautiful. Weekends, if I wasn't having a game, I'd take a train into Paris. Mm-hmm. I could take a train to 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 Sweden. I could go to anywhere. It's like going over from St. Louis to Belleville. Yeah, so it's a little, a little bit more special than Fast Eddie's on a Saturday afternoon, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I, I enjoyed that part of it. Um, but again, you know, it all it all comes back to, to what you love doing. Mm-hmm. I always loved playing soccer. I loved playing football. I was a good football player. <laughs> uh, but I loved soccer. We used to go down to the greens all the time, down in the pair. A yep. bunch of guys would just get together. We're going to kick soccer. We're going to play a little hock sock on the greens, you know, and we'd get, you know, 10 guys down there, 20 guys down there, and you're always, you always had a game. Right. Always had a game somewhere, which was great. It's one of the few sports, you know, I couldn't play football year-round. Right. <laughs> you know, there's no games. Right, right. There's, there's no, let's go have a pickup game of football. You didn't do that. Uh, uh, but soccer, you could always have a pickup game somewhere, and they were always good games. Well, let's 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 jump into the the, the pro days then for the two of you, because you you guys clearly overlapped uh, for a number of those years in the NASL uh, as well as indoor, correct? Um, well, the I was drafted. Little backstory: uh, the the Olympic team assistant coach was a guy named Julie Menendez. He grew up in East St. Louis. And he used to play, he was a big softball player. This guy was an all-around athlete. And he was really good friends with Harry Keough. Really good friends with Harry. So he was the soccer coach at San Jose State. And he was also on the NCAA Rules Committee. So anytime you had the Final Four, you had all these coaches come in and discuss rules and a lot of different things. So Julie was always at the Final Four. And so are you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Ironic. <laughs> well, Julie was good friends with Harry, so they would talk all the time, you know. And so after uh, my senior year, they put together the, the earthquake team. Yep. Okay, and Julie was the head coach at San Jose State, so he helped the owner with the draft. So Julie's the one that told the owner to draft me first. Then he found out Buzzy was unhappy at the Stars. So Buzzy came back from from Germany, and he played 1973 season with the Stars. 
and he wanted more money and the stars didn't want to pay him. So they were kind of at an impasse. And I don't know how Julie found out about it, but Julie said, hey, you, you know, they drafted me in the first round. I got a one bedroom apartment. I moved out there. A week later, they made a trade for the stuff from the stars and traded Buzzy to San Jose. Then I went and got a two bedroom apartment in the same place and he moved in. And so that's, all these that's, years you finally get to play together. That's, yeah, that's the first time we were ever gonna play together. Was, that's awesome. Was, wow. yeah. yeah, we had this we had uh, um, Demarcus Beasley on a couple months about a month ago. Yeah. And Demarcus has one of the highest numbers of caps for the US men's national team. Longevity in general. Gold and, cups, yeah. whole nine yards. Yeah. But but his claim to fame. His claim to fame is is his older brother. Um, Jamar, Jamar, who Jared got to play against a couple of times, uh, was the first um, kid drafted out of high school for the MLS. And DeMarcus said the main reason he got into soccer and the main motivator for him was his older brother. Well, and he always wanted to play together. And they finally got to play together yeah. at the Chicago Fire. Yeah. And so it's such a cool, I'm so glad. That's his, one of his top two moments in the game. Yeah, we asked him about his top time. two moments, and he said uh, that was his top moment was would, playing. Would you, would you guys kind of concur as siblings, you know, given all of the experiences that you've had? Um, and, you know, and I hope I don't start a sibling fight here, but <laughs> would you rank um, kind of that first game walking out together, you know, same kits, whole nine yards, first time you really played together. Is that kind of the pinnacle uh, from a, from a, from, from a brother standpoint? Yeah. That yeah. Was the pinnacle. So what, what did you, did you, <laughs> how can you say that when you played the Olympics walking out in the Olympic games, how could you say that's not like one in Munich stadium? Things? Now for me, that might we, be a different didn't story. Get, I didn't, didn't play in the Olympics. <laughs> like, we right. Did, so, we didn't get to walk out. Oh, that's true. But that's yeah. true. Yeah, Al's we told had, that story. Yeah, we had that. we had games scheduled, and we didn't. The coaches didn't want to stand in in had the stadium. Stand all day. You know? Yeah, so, so we didn't march. See, except this. for Shep Messing, he marched. <laughs> <laughs> see, it's so funny because, like, I really wish at times we would have a camera on this because Mark, I, I saw in what you just did, your face looking at your brother like, are you full of shit? Well, like, you, I me, think he was being you know, trying I to be politically to go, no, correct here with you guys. I knew right away. That, you guys are bringing up. I gotta go, oh, yeah. No, look, we, we love train wrecks. So if the answer is hell no, then we're cool with that, too. Yeah, I mean, he's had, a, he's had a lot of big moments. I mean, he played in the Pan American games. I mean, every time he would come home, he would have something new with USA on it. And I just, every time he'd come home, pink jacket, these red, white, and blue ties. I mean, all, this, all the gear they had. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. The one year he played for the St. Louis Stars is the year they had the, they had like the, the Harlem Globetrotters. They, like they, they had like these Harlem uh, Globetrotters, yeah. long striped pants that you could rip off or what. He still got them. I mean, they're unbelievable. Did, you know? Let me ask you this. Do you go to any city games? Have you gone to city? I have not. Well, when you do I go, you have to wear those pants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, that would be cool. They, they are a bit tight. Oh. <laughs> I tell you what, we'll rent them from you, and we'll have Jared do it for there you. you. Go. There you go. <laughs> well, so I, 
I want to talk a little bit more about the NASL days because when you guys were on the same team, um, you know, in those early days of the league, and kind of, you, you're really in the sweet spot because the the who's who names that were in the league, they were there. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about um, who was the who was the player, who or you know who was the team or who were the players that you know pre-game or the night before in your two-bedroom apartment when you know you're playing New York the next day or whoever, you know, what was the name that you guys talked about? Like, holy shit, we're about to play, you know, Cruyff or Pele or whoever, you know, did you ever have... They were late into the game. So... They weren't there early. So who who were the names? There were still big names coming over. Pele was... I was in Mark Demling. Yeah. <laughs> you were like, they're going to be talking about us. Hack yeah. and whack. Hack and whack. Beck and, oh, Beck and Bauer, Beck and Bauer was there. Right. Beck and Bauer was my personal hero, even though, I mean, you know, when you talk about the greatest of all time, I, I, I thought Pelé was just simply fabulous, and it only because he did the simple things, and he did the simple things well all the time. He never made a bad trap. He never did this. The ball never left his feet, you know. They that were before the yellow card, they kicked him unmercifully. I mean, he got kicked up and down. If you'd watched the 1954 World Cup, yeah. this guy, uh, um, trying to think of the guy's name from uh, Portugal. Um, anyway, he kicked him up and down and sideways and, you know, foul going this way. You know, I mean, it, it, he, he, he was kicked so badly. And then they came out with the yellow card. That's why they came out with the yellow card to protect know, system him. to protect players in general. Yeah, you know. And then they started protecting the superstars, guys like Messi, and you know they they get away with murder. You know, you can touch Messi and it's a foul. It's like the NBA way. soft touch, right? Yeah, yeah. Tom it's Brady. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> the, mean, the Brady rule, right? Yeah. yeah. So 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 the but, game. What, what's what's the one? You know, you you got to pick one. What was the one game? For the two of you, that goes down in the annals as you know uh, a memorable win because of a goal by one or the other or both. Or is there a game that stands out? You know, in your in your. Did you, did you score any goals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. I won the first game that we ever played in. I won the game for us. See? No. Do you re- no. Because I, no, I kept the other team from scoring. <laughs> Very first pro game I play in, I'm not supposed to play because the English guy that's playing in front of me turned his ankle at practice. So now I'm playing in the very first professional game I'm playing with uh, with him on the road. We're playing in Vancouver, Empire Stadium. They had a very good following. The place was packed, about 17,000 people. We score first, they tie it up, goes to overtime, Still tied, penalty kicks. They go 5-5. The very first guy to take the kick is Art Welsh for our team. He goes up, and they're booing unmercifully. 17,000 people are booing. He goes up to take the kick, and he goes like this. And the more he does, the more he's raising his hands, the louder they're booing. And I'm going, this is the pros. This is unbelievable. <laughs> this guy's on the road, and he's antagonizing the people. He goes up to take the first kick. He hits a BB off the post and out, and the crowd goes even more wild. So after five, it's tied 3-3. Then 
and it goes individual kicks one one yeah. one one and i and it's coming closer and i'm going please don't let it be me. <laughs> please don't let it be me comes to the 10th kicker and the coach goes over to the goalie <laughs> and i'm going first i'm kind of relieved and then the second i'm going what he went to the goalie before me, and the goalie was like a Yugoslavian guy, Mirko Stojanovic, brilliant keeper. And he goes, no, I'm hot. I don't want to take it yet. If I have to take the next one, I'll take the next one. So the coach comes over to me, and he goes, Beckenbauer? And that's – I called myself Beckenbauer so much that, that the guys started calling me Beckenbauer because he was my hero. He goes, Becky, you're my man. And I thought, I'm your man. You just picked me by default. Yeah. Like, right? You know. Yeah. Anyway, I scored the goal. Their guy kicked it over. We won the game. Well, so wow. Do you remember that now? Does that bring any back? Any remembers? You remember how I that, scored the goal? Which number were you? Which number were you? I have no idea. Well, well all you I know, you know is that, I scored that, a goal. You know, that, you know how I scored the goal. Yeah, you stood about a foot away and kicked I, it. I, and and <laughs> Gobble was after the yeah. game. You never kick a penalty like that. Yeah. The coach <laughs> was mad. all you need to know is you weren't 10th. You were earlier in the I was early. <laughs> and he didn't miss because if he'd have missed the way he took the penalty, he literally stood one foot from the ball and just kicked it. So the keeper didn't have any, any way to think of which way he was going to go. All right. Here's what we're going to do, guys. Uh, this is fun. We are gonna we're going to take a quick break. Okay. Uh, we're going to get some refills. I forgot to mention, we're down here at our favorite place, Jared. Yep. We are at the uh, Midtown Urban Chestnut Barrel Room. Yeah, that's right. And today, real quick, what are you drinking? I'm drinking the Balkan Treat Lager, and you can't beat it. You just can't beat it. Zach, what'd uh, you have? Kadam, the uh, prickly pear. The prickly pear pink the one. The pink one. Yeah. Uh, it was super hot today. I went with the cider. Mm. That's weird. I, went, I know what it's weird. What did you go with, Buzz? Buzz, what are you drinking over there? A, a, a German Pilsner. Stop it. <laughs> that's the way to go. And I think your younger bro down there went with the pink one. No, he didn't. Wait, what'd, no, you, what'd no. you go with? No, I had some kind of... Um, you had a Bach, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I had a Bach. That's right. See, we're spraying the infield here. I like it. We're all over the place. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to roll out. We're going to fill up on some more multicolored urban chestnut beers. Uh, we'll be right back with uh, a little more soccer chat with the brothers. Thank you, fellas. I'm Max, and I'm nine years old. When I'm not playing soccer, jumping on a trampoline, or playing Xbox... With permission, of course. I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you are interested in the secret sauce of success... Check out the Baked In Podcast. Now, back to those old guys. <laughs> We're back. Looking around the table here. That's appropriate. You like that? Yep. Like what I'm doing there, J-Rod? Rolling back in with a little Pink Floyd. I do like this song. One of their biggest hits ever. Money. Why are you doing? Why, why are you going that route? Why, why are we talking about money? Because I'm reacting to the moment. Okay. 
quick shout quick shout out to the Mr. John Shine and Dave and Florian and the whole team down here at Urban Chestnut again. Thank you for letting us use your lovely barrel room. Need a private party? Call John. Uh, this place is great. We had Keller's uh, Slew High. Another my son, my oldest son, Slew High grad. We had his graduation party here. Um, we got refills real quick. Did anybody change up what they got? Balkan. Nope, I did the same. Everybody did nope. the same. All right. Everybody did the well, same. Status quo. Zach stayed pink. See, it's I still did. pink. Still pink. Uh, it's good. It's sour though. It is. <clears throat> Do you like? Sours, I do. He does like sours. Okay, that's enough. Remember that, in, t- in in Dallas, we were going to go to a place um, where it was eight dollars to get in. This was Zach. Zach was pushing this gig, and they only had ciders. Yeah, I thought that was the weird. The only okay, okay, thing they okay. had was ciders. Okay, hold up. I'm like, hold I up. am not going anywhere where hold they have up. ciders only. It was 107 <laughs> degrees outside. We had four hours to kill before we had to get on our flight. There's nothing we could do outside without. Dying like a postal worker, unfortunately. <laughs> so I recommended this place where we could pay eight dollars and play old arcade and old pinball games as long as we wanted for eight dollars total. But the only pu- catch. But your punishment was you they could only, only drink cider. ciders. <laughs> Come on, you're drinking a cider, JB. No, I'm not. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> All right. Um, we're back. Uh, off air, we were kind of transitioning a little bit, kind of uh, updating the moving parts here. You know, our kids, where they're playing. We were talking about uh, your boys, Buzz in particular, and uh, where they played. And we started talking a little bit about um, kind of the, the current environment because your generation, and to a large degree, even our generation, <clears throat> we played in a youth system uh, with uh, clubs, Select or CYC, which was much more competitive at that point, um, you know, that, that was much, much different than what we're seeing today. Um, so I really kind of want to get your take on, um, you know, when you, when you fast forward to today and you look at the youth soccer marketplace as high school coaches and coaching your own uh, kids' teams uh, in the past and you look at what's going on today, the facilities, the size of the clubs, the momentum, the expectations, and all these things, do you think, do you believe that we, and I'm going uh, to talk about St. Louis specifically, do you believe that we are in a good position uh, to, the, to continue to thrive, to develop players, um, or do you think it's just kind of a lot of chaos that we're maybe getting lucky? Is it too expensive? Let's just let's just roll the dice here, and uh, you know, what's your take on the current environment? My take is the top players are going to always be here. You you'll always be able to find the top players. That's not a problem. When I was coaching at X Club. In my latter years, I would take I would take all the players that were left over that nobody wanted and yeah. and and develop them and, and play. The the problem with that was the parents thought their kids were getting a, a scholarship and they couldn't walk and chew gum. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't say that, but you know. Well, it's uh, it, still it, possible. It, I mean, Jared did pretty well in Missouri Jared did State. pretty well. It, it, it's, it's a, you know. I'm chewing gum right now, motherfucker. Mo, mo, <laughs> but you're not walking. If your kid wants to get a, a scholarship to soccer, there's only 
yeah. scholarships yeah. available to a university. Right. Now, if you want to go to XYZ University for $5,000 a year or St. Louis U, which is 40000 a year. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. Probably closer I think to 48000 Yeah. <laughs> well, well, in, in exact, any case, yeah, you know, they both got 9.9 .9 scholarships is all right. they have. Yep. yep. Right. Now, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy for people to think that their sons or daughters are going to be on a uh, five and five club team that plays 10 games a year that they're going to get a, a scholarship yeah. to a division one school. Yeah. Secondly, they have to realize that most players that do get that scholarship to a division one school don't stay there for a year. Right. They, they quit after a year. Not, not that they quit the program, but they like leave the college to come back to play where they're, they're used to playing, where their girlfriend or their boyfriend still exists. Right. So, you know, it's it's a matter of what the parents expect from a club, what the club tells the parents that they can expect, and they don't always match. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you you uh, you were saying that um, you know the change has to happen, and I believe you were like, you know, until it's subsidized somehow. Um, well, well, what I said was. It, the academies, these elite organizations um, that say we're, we're only going to take the best players. Um, for it, that top team. For that top team. Well, I'll give you an example. If you're uh, Joe Blow and you're going to CBC and the club tells you you can't play for CBC anymore, if you want to play for this academy and this is the top academy, you can't play high school ball anymore. Now, they tried to do that. Well, they are doing that. Well, but what it just depends because what will happen is they'll only do it if they can convince Joe Blow from CBC, Henry Jones from CBC, two or three of those guys from CBC to quit playing at CBC. Now, when those guys refuse to, to, to uh, when those guys say, no, we are going to play for CBC. And the guy says, well, then you're not playing for the academy. Then we'll see how good the academy is because the three guys from CBC are the three best guys that he should have on the academy team. Yeah, unfortunately, so right now, it's... it's so, but it, then they'll go to the next level and yeah. say that you're the best player. They're going to fill their academy, yeah. but they're not going to have the best guys if the best guys can say we are going to play for our high school team because the academies are saying you're not getting the good coaching at the high school level. You know, now can you imagine? All of a sudden, they're saying there's no good coaches at the academy level. Terry Mickler has never done anything. Vince Drank, never done anything. Kavain, never done anything. Oh All shit! These Buzz's son, Brady, at Francis Howell, coaching that, girls soccer. That, that, I mean, that guy knows the fucking game. I mean, so uh, how are you going to tell him that he's not a good coach? Well, I, I'm just saying what they're what that's what but that's what the academy guys are saying because. They're making a living at it. They need to get these top players. So my point was that the top players that are going there should be subsidized. It shouldn't cost you any money because then you can get uh, the guy from the poorer neighborhood 
maybe the, the, the guy that doesn't have a lot of money, but his kid's an unbelievable talent, but there's no way that he can afford to, to play. Right. And in that case, somebody else whose son's on the team is going to pay for that kid himself. But the whole team, that's, the point is the whole team should be, so your selection is let's get the best. Well, I think it's like a, I don't think I know. It is a vicious cycle. So if you have a large club that uh, implements a model that does start to supplement, uh, you know, potentially lower income, higher performing players, kind of in that, quote, academy realm, you know, what about all those other families that are coming from impoverished or, you know, uh, under income earning fam households? You know, they deserve access to the game as well, which takes me back to what's in the back of my brain. We're, we are all students of the game. You live there. European model, it, it's all community-based. You know, it's, it's, this, the communities subsidize every one of those local clubs that go up through, you know, in a, in a Frankfurt model, right? Here in the States, we just don't think, we don't operate that way. Exactly. And what's ha what happened out in California, one of the bigger clubs that first started all of club soccer was, a, was called Ballistic United in Pleasanton, California. And they tried to have a club that had so much social activity. They had dances. They uh, had plays. They took all the coaches, and the coaches had to perform in a play. So they had to go to practice to practice to be in the play. You know, I, I don't know what the radio station here is because uh, it's just terrible, but I lived in California for 30 years before I moved back here again. And I think, I don't know if it's X or everybody in X, they put together a Christmas thing or something every year. Right. And one guy writes the thing and all these people have to play these parts and they don't know what it is until they get the thing. <laughs> yeah. But these parents were, were going to perform in the play and they had a social club guy named Joe Westus who played at St. Louis has passed away a long time ago. He said, that's what they're missing over here. There's no social club activity yeah. that backs the soccer program. Yeah. I mean, there's a million different ways they could raise money. If they truly wanted to, uh, forget about going all the way to the, the, to the extreme and figuring out how to subsidize all the kids. That's not realistic in today's world. But what they could do is get a little bit more creative, create activations, do events. So what if it, fundraisers, old school fundraisers, but molded into things people want to do. It can be a concert. It can be a, a dance, whatever. Right. It, it seems as if, and I get it, they have a lot on their plate. Because, you know, playing devil's advocate here, how would you like to be the club director and you've got um, you know, 500 uh, families that are all emailing you about their little Johnny and Janie is the best and why did they land on this team? And, you know, and you compound that stress of <laughs> each of those relationships. They're probably not, you know, where's the bandwidth? So but, I, I want to kind of jump in here because I think, Mark, you and Buzz have such great experience in the game coming out of the youth sports in St. Louis. You've raised kids in that. You've been across the world, across the country, and seen different models and methodologies for this. And I think one of the things we've discussed on this, sometimes argued about on this show, and, and JB, Jared, and I spend way too much time together talking about the same topic over and over and over again. We all have our own philosophies. And I think it comes down to what the goal is, not only for the individual family, but the individual kid, that coach, and that program. And I think where U.S. soccer switched over to that academy model about 
about nine years ago, 10 years ago. It's kind of Klinsman result. Yeah, it's a Klinsman deal. And I think part of it was to try to compete with the European clubs and the international clubs who had those community-based organizations. We just had a guy on, he was the, he's the goalie coach at uh, Scott Gallagher, his name's Paulo Nascimento. He is a Brazilian national, played futsal for Santos, where Pele came from. That club model's so foreign to anything we have over here. Yet, how many World Cups does Brazil have? You look at the clubs over in, in France, and how many World Cups does France or Germany? So we cannot replicate that model. It's like talking about health insurance. It's not, it's not going to happen. They, they don't have... Brazil does not have 20 under 12 teams. Right. That's what I'm saying. We can't... We can't but they have Santos is the the pinnacle. I, I would some would argue. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean by that? They, uh, Brazil has two thousand under twelve teams probably in the country, uh, maybe even more. What do you mean, not, like Brazil? Not in one club. Okay, okay. Yeah, the like, meaning, we, like we have a club here in St. Louis. Yep. That has ten under twelve teams plus maybe plus. It depends on the club. The, the, yeah, I don't go over to, to Frankfurt, Germany, and seeing Frankfurt with twenty under twelve teams. Yeah, you, but the town next to it has one, and then the town next to it has one. That's fine. Correct. With the town next to it. Yep. I and think, then and they they individually and protect I think what those getting, players. Are what, what we're getting to now, and I think where the MLS is kind of taking over is you have the 30, 29 MLS teams now. Those MLS Academy teams, those kids do not pay. Correct. So that's kind of the funneling piece. So all the different development clubs, that's what I, I, I unfortunately called them collect soccer last time. <laughs> and I got off my hand slapped. But the developmental clubs that are in these different metro areas, Chicago, St. Louis, LA, San Francisco, they are the funnel that goes up. And the cream of the top, the cream of the crop from those developmental clubs, whether that's Gallagher, Fuse, whatever, can then get picked up by those those MLS clubs. They don't pay. And I know we're not talking about that specifically, but it is ahead, Mark. a part of, of the, the, the equation. But how many teams do they have in each age group? One. Okay. And, and to my knowledge, uh, City only has like, what, 15s? And 17s? 15, 16, 17s, UPSL, and we, then a City 2 team. Yeah, UPSL is basically the... Under yeah, 21. Yeah, yeah. Under 20. but they don't have multiple teams. No. Correct. And that's no, single. There's very few clubs. Uh, Sporting KC is one, Chicago Fire is another, in which they have expanded the club, the brand, to where they have multiple teams at each age. Dynamo's done it too. You know, but for the most part, you have the um, the academies are one per age group. You know, and it is it, it's it's a privileged situation. It is. Know? Uh, so let, let me ask you this because I don't want to get in too far into the weeds in this because we can go, get on the hamster wheel in perpetuity here. Let me as extremely educated soccer individuals, when you look at what's recently happened with our national team the 3-0 victory over Mexico, the closing out the deal against Canada a couple nights later, uh, coming out of the last World Cup, you know, going to, uh, you know, getting out of group play, 
you know, losing to Holland in a game that arguably could have easily went a different direction. Uh, when you look at all these things that are occurring within the national team uh, uh, marketplace right now, their games and the prospect, and you look at the ages too, because when you when you look at that lineup the other night, I th- I, this average age is like 24. I mean, it's, it's a very young team. Do you guys feel that in spite of the, the the conversation we just had regarding clubs and kind of the bigger picture, it seems to me that it's working. It looks like we're developing players. Do you, are you excited about the prospect of the team currently? I, I do not know. I haven't I haven't looked at the at the at the rosters to tell you the truth. I don't know who develops the players. Are they developed in this country? Are they developed overseas? And brought back to play for this country. Well, I, a little I, bit of both. Yeah, I think yeah. so. There roster. was a picture of uh, Gio Reyna and uh, Joe Scali. Uh, Scali. Yeah. They came from the New York FC Academy. They were on the youth team together, and now obviously Gio's at Dortmund. Scali's also in Germany, I believe. Um, so I think I think it's a hybrid. Uh, Pulisic, Pulisic was a, uh, a, a PA kid. Um, Hershey. So, so he was he was domestic, and then obviously the the higher development is occurring. Weston McKinney, in Texas Europe. kid. I, because I do think, to your point, uh, when you look at our top 20, 25 players, you could argue that maybe only two, three max are MLS players. The rest are currently residing, playing, getting paid in Europe. So. I don't know. Mark, what do you think? We're to catch 22 because the good players want to go to Europe, you know, and they want to make the money. Uh, we develop a player in the MLS and then they sell them. Mm-hmm. Why are we selling the guys that we develop? Why aren't we keeping them? Yeah, it's now, economics. I, you know, you, I mean, you, that's. Well, it is. It is economics. So but the, the, it, what, what explained to me the economics of signing Messi? <laughs> well, if you now, now I, here, this is just my opinion. Okay, there's there's two things that have made the MLS stable. The first thing is everybody had to have their own stadium. Okay, yeah, so that was, that was I, a smart I, move. I, I've been involved with the MLS uh, since the beginning because um, I lived in San Jose and and I did radio and television for the earthquakes when they or the clash I should say when they when they first started so I know what's going on with the league and I and I've seen teams change just like they did in the NASL and when that was the sad thing in the NASL we loved playing I enjoyed my time in San Jose and I loved playing there's there's nothing like Buzzy said more than better than playing soccer and playing in the NASL was great, but it was also sad to see all these teams change every other year. You know, go from Edmonton to Las Vegas or Vegas to um, San Antonio or to Hawaii. We went to Hawaii and the owner said to us, we're gonna be here for 10 days. He said, because we're never coming back and this team will never make it because the logistics of going to Hawaii for every team and for Hawaii to every time have to fly all the way over. It's just it's just impractical. They never should have put a team here. Sure enough, they, they lasted one season. So when this league said you have to have your own stadium when they started to expand, meant you had to have money. Yep. And so you had to have stable people involved. 
you had to have people with enough given f to 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 succeed. They they were they were making um, an investment on that stadium, that property, in that business. So it puts them in a place to want to succeed. Well, I'm not I, sure. I'm just saying that unless was, you're unless you're cranky. That, well, that, that, you was, <laughs> that was the, the the first thing that they said that I knew that San Jose would keep their team because they had to build a stadium there, and they built the stadium, and I knew they'd never leave because they the team they had that won the championship they sold that team to Houston, and it was all San Jose's team. The whole team went, and they won two championships there. That's how good that team was, you know. Then they allowed them to keep all the names and the records and all that kind of stuff and then they started the earthquakes again but this the stadium deal was huge the tell, next, them, tell them that the story what they called dick berg to tell them that they oh, had to change well, the team name okay well I'll, I'll, let me just finish this train of thought and then if you want i'll, I'll get back yeah. to that because that's a good one yes yeah, but the the other thing they did was they signed this apple tv package yeah now you know how many people cannot see a game in the British Premier League? No matter what, they don't have the television rights. They can't see it. There's tons of places that cannot see a, a British Premier League game. Anybody in the world, if you own an Apple phone or an iPad or anything else, you buy that, buy that package, and that package is 100 bucks. Yeah. 120 I think, if you didn't have Apple TV. You get every single game. Now, they've had some quirks that they've got to work out with that package. Yeah. But still, anybody in the world can see it, and it's a 10-year package. No, I agree, and I think that goes hand-in-hand. Hand. You know, you pointed out subtly the reality of the situation for current MLS ownership groups uh, or new groups coming into the league, much like our own group. You, you can't be doing this as a hobby. It can't be something that you're just going to have a little bit of fun because you heard soccer's cool and your kids say it's trending on Instagram and oh, let's toss 50 million at it, right? Even if you have 50 million in your glove box, you can't do it that way. You got to have 500 to a billion uh, in your group to make it make sense. And Apple, to your point, I mean, a Apple's the richest company in the world. I mean, they've they got more cash sitting there than anybody. So I love the Apple deal. I know a lot of people when it came out were like, well, you know, oh, this is keeping people away from the game. And I'm like, no, look, at everybody's got an iPhone. <laughs> you know? Keeping people away. Yeah, that's, that's incredible for what, I mean, you yeah. know, you can be in Alaska. You could be in the desert as long as you got a signal. You yeah. know, I'm, I know the guy in the desert's got an iPad. Yeah. No, it's brilliant, um, which brings me to kind of a quick transition. I'm really curious to hear um, your guys' uh, initial year one opinions, feelings, uh, as it applies to the team that we do have. Um, you, Carolyn and Jim Cavanaugh and the whole team and what they've done in that stadium and um, kind of out of the gate, the performance, the whole thing. What does it mean to you being part of the foundational fabric of soccer in this town? I mean, you, your names are going to be indelibly printed on these stories for generations to come. And now we have an MLS team. What, what does this team mean to you? And what's your initial uh, the feedback on the performance of not only the ownership group, but the players on the field? Well, the, the, the performance of the ownership group is unbelievable. I mean, 
they put their their money where their mouth is. Yeah, I mean, they 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 are not holding back on anything. If if the team needs something, they'll get it for them. And I think the the coach has done well with the players he's got. I think he's going through a rough time not right now with injuries. Yeah. Um, which, which is a large part of any club's makeup. Right. Right. If if you're missing three or four of your top players at any level or any team in this league, they're not going to do as well as if they've got a full complement of players. Without question. I, I, I'm a season ticket holder. I was the guy that pushed the button really quick as soon as that <laughs> thing went. And, yep. um, you know, I, I've got a couple of tickets. Um, uh, I I – I've got one negative, and I don't even really want to say that because I like to stay positive about everything. Be- Since I was in broadcasting, the the one thing that would irritate me the most is the people that would talk would talk about negativity things. You know, when you're young and and you know uh, things are new, you got to be positive about things, not negative. You got to accentuate the positive all the time. And as Buzzy said, the ownership group has been, you know, it, if, if you're from St. Louis and you're a soccer guy, everybody's got an opinion. And they <laughs> all think that they know that it's going <laughs> to yeah. be the right one, and they'll all issue their, their comments on stuff. Believe um, me. Mark, it, I think you're wrong. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, this, is a, this is a tough place to coach. Yeah. Uh, on any level, it's a tough place to coach. So you got uh, 22,500 fans sitting in there. It's a, it's a little different now because the fan base is different, you know. Yes. It, you don't have 22,500 soccer people in that stadium. You got maybe, um, I'd say 17,005. Which yeah. is probably higher than most cities in well, their expansion I, 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 I'm just saying their their fan base is the, the is the model for the league. Yeah. You know, they, their demographics is let's get the twenty five to forty year old. That's who we want. We don't care about anybody else. You know, I cannot believe the way the ticket prices are and I all the kids I see at the games. I see a ton of kids, and I thought that would never happen based on their ticket pricing. And their ticket pricing could have been whatever they wanted when they had 50,000 requests for season tickets. Yeah. But, you know, their training grounds, second to none. All their facilities, second to none. The first thing, the the first press conference that Lutz gave, I, I listened to the whole thing. And the one thing he said was, we're going to start at the under-15s. We've got two years. We might be able to get one player to put on the team. And, and they I did thought, that. And I thought, if that guy really means that, then I got a lot of respect for him. And his whole deal is building academies and building stuff. And I thought, no, if he really means that, or that's not just stuff – you know, flying out because it's PR, because it was good PR. Right. And he had me when he said it, and it's something I didn't forget. And then when he signed the kid Perez, and then when he signed the – he signed actually Glover first, I think. And yeah, then Glover, Perez. then Perez. And I thought, no, okay, signing them's, you know, you just don't give up a roster spot for, you know, I mean – No, you want to see be, him on the field. Well, and then he, yeah. I see Perez playing the first game. 
Yeah. On the road. How, how to make you and feel? I'm thinking he's, and he was 17 then. How, uh, how does it make you feel as a Billiken to see Johnny Klein getting repeated opportunities at, the, at this level now? I, I think it's great. I think, that he made, I think it's great that he made the City 2 team. I think it's great that they have a City 2 team. Yeah. One of the things I'm, I'm adamant about is I want to see more Americans playing in our own league, right? I don't think nothing we, wrong with that. I don't think we have to go to Central and South America to sign a lot of guys that are no better than some of the guys that we have here, and they're and they're paying them a lot of money. Yeah. And now I'm I'm a player, so I want the guys to get all they can get. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, it you know, I I can show you clippings from when we played in the NESL, and they're talking about the Americanization of the game, and we're talking 50 years ago. So uh, unless, you know, now what I do every time, every time we play, I make a note of how many Americans are starting on the field. And in some games, at the end of the game, we've had eight guys on the field. Eight. Yep. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's... So, uh, and I'm not against the foreign players. I love Berkey. I think... Leuven's unbelievable, and it's too bad that the big guy up front, because I thought he looked so awkward, but I never saw a big man lay off so many perfectly weighted balls in my life. This guy's got great touch, Klaus. Yeah, he's, he's solid. I, I wish we would know more what's happening. We never get any, you never get any mer- medical updates, which only makes me think the guy's out for the season or something. I mean, they keep saying maybe four weeks or something. I mean, if it was the St. Louis Cardinals, you'd have something on the guy every day. But the press would be asking, where's Klaus? Where's Klaus? Where's Klaus? Yeah. Now, how long is Lubin going to be out? Well, two weeks. Well, no, maybe it's four weeks. You know, I mean, they had the, the first guys they signed. Berkey, they signed the Swedish guy. Mm-hmm. Then they signed Lubin, and then they signed Klaus. So you got the spine. And that's the smart way to, to, to build a team with the spine right down the middle, and then you build on that, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the, the Swedish guy has an injury when they sign him that they know about, but they think he's going to be okay. And then when they see him, no, he's got to have an operation. Boom, he's out for the year. That's a big blow right there. Right. Because the guy's a world coupler. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things I think that – uh, real quickly, there's 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 a new sheriff in town, right? We are used to St. Louis soccer being kind of virtually and realistically dominated by you know a handful of families, a handful of names uh, that have spinoffs and prodigies, etc., that have continued the traditions. Uh, but this ownership group came in here and they had a big plan and they went global. Uh, with the with the team and and the operations and at the end of the day, you, I I think they are blending and respecting St. Louis's heritage in 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 a good way. Um, but to your point, what I can't wait for when that St. Louis kid that truly comes up and you know is it going to be Miggy? Is he going to break through and and lock in a spot? Is it going to be Caden? Is it going to be? Uh, John, whoever, or right? somebody we don't well, even know. Well, yeah. th- well, think about it. Five years from now, Miggy's only going to be twenty-three or twenty-four or whatever. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's got five years in the league. He's only eighteen years old. Right. Right. You know, so 
They're and they're and they're playing this guy. He's not a token guy. They're playing him. They're playing him on the road. They're playing him at home. Yeah. So that's that's a big plus right there. Johnny Klein, even if he's playing in the academy, I love that they <laughs> I love that they have an academy two league. Yeah, and I think the one thing we were, we were talking about this the other day. Um, you know, St. Louis loves its own, and when you look at the Cardinals in particular, right? You, you, we can go down a list of fifty ex Cardinals. 85, 90, 95% of them, they're not from St. Louis, right? Soccer is going to be a little bit different. If we continue to produce these players that do land and wear that, that crest, what do you think, you know, where do you see the love affair for those kids being? I, over the freaking moon. We've talked about it a hundred times. I mean, if, if these kids that they've signed already or kids in the pipeline yeah. um, or kids that aren't even in the academy that are from St. Louis currently, if they hit – multiple times on St. Louis 314 blood, I, it, it's going to be phenomenal. I mean, it really is going to um, – I mean, it's, it's, it's like statue building time out front. <laughs> well, the, the, the fans here are, are good fans, and believe me, they're going to love anybody that plays good. They're, gonna, they're already in love with Berkey and Lovin and Klaus. They're in love with those three guys. Well, You're most right. you know, my, I mean, my wife and her friends are in love with Berkey for a much yeah. different yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, than, than we are. you know, you know what? I'll say this. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but when when in the beginning when they had these guys, when our, when somebody else was scoring, you know how, you know how uh, Ronaldo is when he scores, everybody run away. When somebody else scores, you don't see Ronaldo on top of the pile, yeah. right? You don't see him patting everybody else on the back. I, every time somebody else scores, Leuven, Klaus, they're all over these guys. They're so happy that they're scoring that they're winning. Yeah. And it's all about the team. And with that, those are the kind of guys you like to have on the team. So I don't care if they're red, blue, green, gold, if they're from Germany or from St. Louis. If you're winning, they're going to back a winner. They're going to love the people. When you guys had that penalty, penalty kick shootout back in the day, did you jump on each other's shoulders? Well, there was a transportation strike, and if we didn't make it to the airport, we didn't even get a chance to shower after the game. Gentlemen, it's that time. Uh, We really appreciate you coming to join us and and telling the stories, and uh, this has been a blast. So, you know, we really hope that, uh, you know, stay in touch. We'd like to circle back around at a future date, and um, um, really enjoyed having you I have to call out one thing, though. Yeah, go ahead. You know, Mark's been talking about City, and Buzz, you have too. Mark is all city today. He's I'm got all in. City I'm red. all in. I, that's what I was Polo doing. on. He's got his city shorts on. He's got the, the city kicks the on. Copa. The Copas. The, the Adidas Copas. I like it. So And Panini Soccer. And then they got a Panini Soccer. I'm waiting to see how they do. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the season will tell me a lot about this. <laughs> you, you are a prototypical older brother. I like that. I feel you, man. Well, gentlemen, thank you for your time. Really thank appreciate you. it. Uh, love thank the stories. Thank you for having us. We Thanks for having us. Yeah, this is great. Absolutely. And uh, you two jokers. Uh, uh, thanks, Urban Chestnut. Thanks, Urban Chestnut. Appreciate it. Yep. And Pinnacle. Pinnacle. Yeah. Pinnacle points. No more points here at the end of the show. Yep. We're rolling out. It's free bird time. Yeah. A little warm. We're on our way. We're going to go get another round of refills and recap on our own. You guys be good. Thanks Thanks for listening. Catch up later. Thank you.